if we look to the answer as to why for so many years we achieved so much, prospered as no other people on earth, it was because here in this land we unleashed the energy and individual genius of man to a greater extent than has ever been done before. Those who say that we're in a time when there are no heroes, they just don't know where to look. The sloping hills of Arlington National Cemetery, with its row upon row of simple white markers, bearing crosses or stars of David, they add up to only a tiny fraction of the price that has been paid for our freedom. As for the enemies of freedom, those who are potential adversaries, they will be reminded that peace is the highest aspiration of the American people. We will negotiate for it, sacrifice for it. We will not surrender for it now or ever. We are Americans. France Authority on AM 1420. The answer. Hour number two is now underway, eight minutes past the clock. Thanks for being with us. Uh, I want to stay in the local scene or stay in the state of Ohio anyway. Uh, thanks again to Mel- Melanie Stolarski. He joined us to talk about uh, maskless shopping and what the organization Ohio for, uh, Freedom Fighters are doing. Uh, we continue to support organizations on the grassroots level that are fighting back against tyranny. The tyranny being uh, forced upon us by Mike DeWine. Remember what I've always said, tyrants never tire of tyranny. And this is an example. He vetoed SB 22, which would remove some of his powers uh, to control the people, to shut down businesses, to shut down schools, shut down churches, and to, of course, violate your First Amendment rights in about every measurable way with mask mandates. Joining us now to talk about that veto and responses to it from the conservative side of the aisle is our friend Jack Windsor, Jack is a uh, managing editor and the Ohio Statehouse reporter at the Ohio Star. Jack, good morning. Good morning, Bob. Thanks for choosing me. Good to be here this morning. Good, good to talk to you as always, Mr. Windsor. So a um, couple of really interesting responses here that I've been reading and following, including from state representatives in response to Mike DeWine's, not just his veto, but his five-page letter that has been described uh, as being filled with lies or at least mistakes at the very, you know, at the, at the very best case scenario, but, but a bunch of false information about the constitutionality of SB 22, about the effectiveness in terms of health of SB 22. And uh, I know you've been speaking with some people about this in preparation for work that you're doing for the Ohio Star. Uh, let's start with Maurice Thompson who is a constitutional attorney with the 1851 Law Center. He picked apart this uh, uh, Mike DeWine letter as well. What can you tell us? Uh, I can tell you my head hurts between reading Maurice's <laughs> responses and Representative Wiggum's. I mean, you know, I took constitutional law as a freshman at Baldwin-Wallace College, and I remember poring over those Supreme Court ledgers uh, or, you know, cases, uh, cases and having to write a brief. And, my goodness, I feel like I'm back at Baldwin-Wallace College circa 1995. So, um, you know, it's thick, and here's the essence of it. Maurice looked at that five-page letter, like you said, and he said, look, there are eight false points and, and three irrelevant points. And if I were to boil it down, we can get into the weeds on some of it, but that letter is a red herring. And what it does is, and I believe Maurice is saying this, and I believe Representative Scott Wiggum, the Republican from Worcester, is saying the same thing. 
And what it's doing is it's distracting from the real question, which is why does the governor not trust lawmakers that people from around the state have elected? And why does he not trust local judges elected by voters? Because the, those are the that's the crux, right? So legislators are saying, look, we're standing in the gap here on behalf of the people who elected us, and we want to provide some rails and some um, scope and duration to the power that you have. And, oh, by the way, we want, if somebody brings a lawsuit against you, we want them to be able to have that lawsuit tried in their home county, not on your home court in Franklin County. And, you know, DeWine acts like both are, are extremely unconstitutional and unprecedented. But, you know, Maurice goes into it, and, um, I mean, that's it at the bottom line. But he, he kind of rips apart um, the idea that it would authorize lawsuits against the General Assembly um, and that, uh, you know, the state would really be in, in jeopardy because um, uh, people who bring lawsuits could sue for damages. And he says, no, sovereign immunity still applies. And frankly, the state wouldn't be on the hook um, liability-wise unless they committed an infraction. And, oh, by the way, isn't it interesting that you're looking at it from that vantage point, Governor? It's kind of the tone of what Maurice says. And, uh, you know, he just, I, I guess more than anything, he talks about the the word that was thrown around a lot is unconstitutional. And he said, look, this would be the bill making the law, defining the scope of administrative power. And the legislature has not just the authority, but the duty to limit, limit uh, administrative power. And he's right. You know, when you think about it, the only administrative, the only power the administrative state has is that given to it by the General Assembly, the senators and the representatives of people around Ohio elect. So when they say, hey, you know, you're providing some scope and duration to this power and it's unconstitutional, Maurice goes, no, 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 you've got the Constitution backwards. Um, so it's it's a it's a deep but very compelling argument. Jack, um, one of the things that DeWine argued is that uh, this, this SB 22 would be, uh, it would essentially violate the separation of powers. Um, you and I have spoken about this. Um, it's, it, it could not be more backwards, in my opinion. I feel like he is the one who's violated separation of powers. He, he has substituted his judgment for both the judiciary and the legislature, uh, and he has done everything in his own way. Uh, he refuses to let anybody else have a say. What is his argument that SB 22, which would give some say and actually provide end dates to executive orders, you know, absent votes by the legislature to continue them, uh, what is his argument that says this is a violation of separation of power? Yeah, it's kind of a shallow argument. And uh, by the way, I'm not an attorney, so take that that comment that I just made for what it's worth. But it's it's twofold. Number one, the Legislative Services Commission, which is supposed to be you know a nonpartisan group that assists lawmakers in the General Assembly with putting together bills. So they have lawyers on staff, they have researchers. Well, when they did their analysis of Senate Bill 22, uh, the point was brought up, you know, there could be a constitutional snag based on what you just said, the separation of powers. Because the United States Supreme Court said, um, you know, Congress should pass laws, and that's how that's how they roll. Not, um, in this case, Senate Bill 22, what it does is it gives the General Assembly senators and representatives the ability to, to pull down some rules and orders by what's called um, a resolution. So it's not a law. It's just a simple majority vote in both chambers. And so that was the argument. If How, how can you basically um, contain an order or 
something that the executive branch does by a concurrent resolution instead of a law. And that's what DeWine argued. And so the point is, though, uh, you know, there are already two bodies. One is the state controlling board, which is um, made up of some senators and representatives and other officials. And, you know, what they do is they handle adjustments to the state budget and they don't pass laws to do it. And then there's this Joint Commission on Agency Rule Review, JCAR, which is made up of five representatives and five senators, and their primary function is to review um, proposed, amended, and rescinded rules from over 100 state agencies to ensure that they don't exceed the rulemaking authority granted to them by the General Assembly. So there you have the State Controlling Board and JCAR already doing what the governor is essentially saying is unconstitutional. And then to Maurice's point, um, the way that the Ohio Constitution is written, the administrative state doesn't have any power unless the General Assembly gives it to them. And he's saying that this bill makes the law. So the fact that the bill makes the law makes it legal. Um, it doesn't seem to hold a lot of water, but again, I'm no. not a constitutional attorney. No, and, and, and neither am I. Um, let, let's talk about some of the specifics uh, also that uh, particularly I found interesting. Uh, from uh, Representative Wiggum, as you say, surgically uh, kind of dissecting point by point um, the the arguments made by Mike DeWine in the letter. And let's talk about foodborne illnesses. SB 22, according to DeWine, limits health department's ability to respond to foodborne illnesses, assuming, for example, and he does this throughout, hypothetical, 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 um, assuming there's a norovirus outbreak in a restaurant that makes over 500 people severely ill and it's traced back to a cook. Under SB 22, he said, even a symptomatic cook could not be made to isolate with it without a medical diagnosis, and it would be legally yeah. difficult and perhaps legally impossible to force a resistive cook to see a physician for a medical diagnosis. Therefore, the co- cook can continues to work, and therefore more and more people to continue to get sick. This is the bizarro world um, you know, of, of uh, hypotheticals that Mike DeWine has created. And why don't you tell us about the response? Yeah, so right before I jump into Wiggum's direct response to that, he alluded to that, and he said what you just said. You know, there are these bizarro world examples, and we hear a lot of if, and, you know, if this happens, then maybe. And that was Wiggum's kind of basis is that, you know, you give a lot of hypotheticals. This isn't real-world stuff going on. And by the way, Maurice Thompson dug into that and said, you know, under oath, Governor, the state of Ohio has not been able to provide one example of how what you've done over the last year has either saved a life or um, stopped harm. So, again, hypothetical. But Wiggum says, you know, the health department could close down a restaurant for the norovirus outbreak. And by the time the department could figure out that the cook was spreading it, the cook would no longer be contagious. And then basically asks, uh, you know, uh, a jab of a rhetorical question, are health departments or the Department of Health seriously asking for the the authority to isolate people they think have norovirus? And obviously the answer to that is no. Um, But again, it's one of those red herrings. He used that. He used the issue with uh, students at uh, Miami University at the beginning of this outbreak, he used uh, smallpox, he used Ebola, all of those things. And at the end of the day, what they're designed to do is to uh, distract from the argument or the real point is, why does he not trust the legislature? Why does he not trust judges in Lake, in Erie, in Ashland, in Butler counties who said, hey, these orders are unconstitutional? Um, that's the real question. But it's it's this smoke and mirrors, dog and pony political posturing show that we're seeing now. But I think it's about to come to an end. Uh, why do you think that? 
because I believe, well, yeah, I'm glad you're, I'm glad you asked that. I believe the Senate will take the, the bill up today. I was on the phone this morning already. One senator said, yep, it's going to be on the floor today. Um, another senator was confident that it would, uh, it would pass, that they would override the veto. And then that would send it to the House. Now, according to Scott Wiggum, he believed that if the Senate did this today, that the House would probably do it today as well. But my my concern, my only concern is, um, you know, Wiggum said uh, the governor's job is to pick people off. And he believes that he's, he's already trying to do that. So when this thing first passed the House, uh, I believe there were three people who voted against it, three Republicans. Uh, who voted against it, uh, Vitaly, Ferguson, and White. And then five, Zeltwanger, Richardson, Lojcik, Larray, and Ferguson, um, no, I'm sorry, Ferguson voted against it, who, who, who didn't vote uh, on the measure. They, so they, if those four were, votes, were they the ones that were absent, Jack? They were, they were either, yes, I don't know the full story on each of them. They were either absent or, uh, maybe not wanting to cast a vote. Uh, on, in either column for whatever political purpose. Well, that's a big difference. That's a really big difference. Um, and I apologize. Um, I thought I read that Speaker Cup said that they've got 57 votes, but that there were a handful that weren't there to vote, which I, I took as absent. He said, but I, I've been assured that they would be voting to override. Um, but it's a different story if they chose not to cast a vote one way or the other. Um, you haven't confirmed that, I assume, yet. No, I, same thing that, that you read, um, you know, Cup did say, I'm absolutely positive, I think was the language, that we'll have the votes. But since that time, um, you know, I've heard that Nino Vitale may not vote for it because he doesn't think it has enough teeth and it doesn't go far enough. I've heard that Paul Zeltwanger may actually be in that camp, surprisingly. And remember, those two guys were part of the, the fourth handful of people who um, released articles of impeachment against the governor last year. So, and... Unfortunately, if it doesn't pass, the story is going to get told from the vantage point of, well, the governor is doing the right thing and Ohioans believe in it. The reality is um, the, the legislation may not have gone far enough. They, they want the, the big thing is um, the way that the bill was amended, it does not put a 30-day time limit on orders. It doesn't sunset orders. It, and so then it requires the General Assembly either to meet and do this concurrent resolution or for something to go to the courts and for the, you know, the judicial branch to say, no, this is not okay. So it's not uh, aggressive enough for some lawmakers. I still think it'll pass. I really do. I think, you know, you've got, they, they need 60. They had 57 and you've got what five to seven votes there to play with. Um, I think it would pass probably 62. Um, I'm, um, you know, by, I'm a little frustrated by, by the, the line being taken by Vitaly and Zeldwinger here, if that is what they're doing. I get it. It's not a perfect bill. It's absolutely not. But this is one of those cases where you cannot let the good be the enemy of the perfect. You, or perfect being the enemy of the good, rather. This has got some good things in it. And as you said a second ago, Jack Windsor, and I agree with you, if this thing fails to be overridden, it gives a giant victory to Mike DeWine. This is a guy we gotta get out, in my opinion, I know you're a reporter, and you gotta get him out of office. You gotta get him primaried out. He cannot be allowed to face a Democrat again. It's two Democrats going against one another. And he still enjoys the support of the left side of the state of Ohio. Um, you can't hand him a huge victory here where he vetoes and obviously the representatives of the people in the legislature don't override because they know that it's good legislation or rather it's good, uh, uh executive policy that Mike DeWine has instituted here. I, I cannot believe that Fatali and others would sacrifice this defeat, taking at least some of the power away 
from DeWine, issuing him a big defeat in order yeah. to wait for a stronger, more toothy bill to come through. That, by the way, might not pass then because of some who are kind of more moderate on the issues. I, I find that just terribly irresponsible. Well, two quick points on that, because we could talk about this this part of it for a long time. But Let's I do that, Jack. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Jack, let's do that. Yeah. I've got a commercial break here. It's already 1023. Yep. I can squeeze maybe three minutes in at the bottom, and I'll let you finish your thought there. And then give me those two points after that. Jack Windsor will finish Perfect. the half hour with us right after this. It's left for Jack Windsor to make his two points. And, Jack, uh, thanks for your patience in sitting through that. But uh, uh, the part about Vitaly and uh, and uh, Zolt Winger and any, anybody else who voted against this singer may vote against the override here because it's not strong enough. Your thoughts? Yeah, so the real quick point on that was I reached out to uh, Majority Floor Leader Bill Seitz yesterday because a, a, a source inside the State House told me that he may have been, um, even though he was publicly a proponent, that he was privately an opponent, and he clarified. He got back to me very quickly, which I was grateful for. Uh, and he said, I will vote to override. There are a couple of problems with the bill, as there are in any bill, that we can fix these in other legislation. And I think that goes to your point of perfect being the enemy of good. And I think that that is uh, the Ohioans that I hear from, that is absolutely the case. Look, it may not be perfect, but we need a win. We need a victory. And then I want to kind of dovetail this into the second point, which is, um, you know, if this does not pass, if Mike DeWine wins on Senate Bill 22, how it will get spun off in the, in the mainstream. Um, I talked with conservative Republicans versus we'll call them center Republicans. But I talked with conservative Republicans, and here's the pulse right now. If that happens, you know, DeWine has some time until the primary election. And if he garners enough support, there is, a, there is a chance that he will win the primary. And I'm telling you, if he wins the primary, he'll lose the general. Because most of his support right now is on the left side of the aisle. And uh, I believe that there are people who wouldn't vote for him um, based on principle of what's happened over the last year who would call themselves Republicans and conservatives. They may vote for a Democrat or may not vote at all. And so, you know, it's really an interesting time if if you are on the right side of the aisle. Um, and I think that this bill will uh, dramatically affect and drastically affect um, what happens in the gubernatorial race in 2022. I do, too. That's why I cannot believe that they wouldn't be doing whatever they could, including all of the conservative Republicans who have been the biggest thorns in the side of Mike DeWine during all of this, you know, these past 12 months, including Vitaly, who's been so outspoken and so vocal, taking a lot of criticism and a lot of heat for doing the right thing, for him to now say, this isn't good enough, let's give DeWine a win, a veto over us that we can't override. It would just be, it would. I agree with you, it'll have a tremendous impact impact on the uh, gubernatorial race, and it would be a negative impact because it would give Mike DeWine uh, just a giant boost. So um, uh, your prediction is it will pass today in the Senate? You think they'll take it up, right? I think they'll take it up, and I think it will pass, if not today, tomorrow, and then um, then you're looking at uh, the House probably tomorrow or Monday. Um, okay. So I think, I think we'll know everything by about Tuesday of next week at the latest. Jack Windsor, uh, the State House reporter for the Ohio Star online at theohiostar.com. Terrific stuff there. We'll continue to read your work and follow up with you as appropriate. Thank you, Jack Windsor.
Thank you, Bob. It's always a pleasure. All right. 1030 now. Let's get a quick timeout for news. Come back. We are guest-free the last half hour, which means time for you to get in line. 216-901-0945 or 888-281-1110 right here on The Authority. Can't get on the air with Bob? Leave a message, 216-525-1806. Yeah, that's always good advice. Use the authority message line. You just heard it there, and we will play good messages we get off the air when we get on the air. Thanks again to Jack Windsor. Thanks again to Melanie Stolarski. We are guest-free now, however, the rest of the way. I want to get back to the gun issue for just a moment, if I can. Joe Biden. If you did not hear this, Jen Psaki kind of acknowledged this, Joe Biden as well, saying in the wake of the shootings in Atlanta and in the wake of the shooting in uh, Boulder, Colorado two days ago, he is and can and will act unilaterally by executive action on gun control. Democrats are pushing for gun control in the wake of that mass shooting in Boulder. The Senate promising to take up gun control discussions as President Biden says he won't hesitate to act. I don't need to wait another minute let alone an hour, to take common-sense steps that will save the lives in the future. We can ban assault weapons and high-capacity magazines in this country once again. Press Secretary Jen Psaki echoing the president's urgency, saying, quote, we are considering a range of levers, including working through legislation, including executive action that has been under discussion and will continue to be under discussion. But But the left continues to tell you to stop the false narrative that Joe Biden's coming for your guns. They literally are threatening uh, executive action, unilateral action by King Joe to take your guns. Or at least the guns that they don't think that you have the Second Amendment right to own. Including, quote-unquote, assault weapons, which they still are unable to define. An assault weapon is nothing more than a semi-automatic weapon that looks scarier than another semi-automatic weapon. I mean, literally, that's what it is. But they continue to use that fear porn to, to freak people out to talk about assault weapons must go. And high-capacity magazines must go. Here's uh, Kamala. I'll refrain from calling her what I wanted to say. They are designed to kill a lot of people quickly. Yeah, we all Let us all agree agree that we need background checks. But the point here is Congress needs to act. And and on the House side, they did. There are two bills which the president is prepared to sign. And so we need the Senate to act. And this is going to be about your viewers and all of us pleading um, to, to the reason, pleading to the hearts and minds of the people in the United States Senate to say enough with the partisanship, enough with the ideological perspective on this. Let's just be practical and agree. People who have been found to be a danger to themselves and others should not be able to purchase. So what will the Biden administration do? We keep hearing about executive action. What does that mean, Madam Vice President? What it means is that we need to so, Madam, all right. take action. But, but Gail, let's be clear about this. There is the piece about executive action. But if we pass legislation, it's permanent. If, we, if, we, if the Congress acts, then it becomes law. And that is what we have lacked. That is what has been missing. And there's a reason for that. Because the representatives of the people realize that there's a little thing here that matters called the bill of rights. It's contained in this little thing that I promise you 
Kamala Harris has never read, which is the Constitution of the United States of America. She said she's calling for an end to partisanship on the issue. I wonder if she will then call for um, the denouncement of the remarks of Sonny Hostin on ABC's left-wing tirade machine called The View. Is this partisan? I, I don't think we can any longer equate freedom with the unfettered right to own assault rifles. So freedom, which is guaranteed us by the Constitution... And rifles, weapons, guns, which are guaranteed us by the Constitution, don't go together? Is that really what this half-wit is saying? That is not freedom, because I feel like a hostage right now. I feel like a hostage to the selfish people that insist on owning these types of weapons. Do you know how many millions of people own those types of weapons who have never had to fire them in defense, much less in offense. They are there to prevent violence, not to commit violence. And guess what? How many blanks do you think we care about how you feel as a hostage? I mean, honestly, do you really think that you know? Maybe we ought to rethink that whole Second Amendment thing. Because Sonny Hostin feels like a hostage because we own guns. <laughs> we all know that her feelings come first. Ben Shapiro once said, facts don't care about your feelings. Of course they do. Sonny Hostin's feelings are that of fear and feels like a hostage. Therefore, we'll surrender our rights no matter what the facts say about quote-unquote assault rifles and high-capacity magazines. That is not freedom in this country. You are not a patriot because you think you have the right to own these types of weapons. Number one, we are patriots if we avail ourselves of the rights guaranteed us by the Constitution, number one. And number two, we don't think we have that right. It's in writing. You are not a patriot. You should be uh, taking care of your fellow Americans. How are we going to take care of our fellow Americans against grave threats? You want to tell me that? What are we going to do? How are we going to protect ourselves against somebody coming at our family or friends or in a public place with a firearm, with a high-capacity magazine? What are we going to do? Shout the wrong pronouns at them to hurt their feelings and make them leave? Declare this is a safe space? We're safe here. We declare safe here. We're safe. This is base. What are you, six? Base? You can't touch me. I'm on base. Generally speaking, murderers who go in and commit mass shootings are not usually well in the head. They're not going to listen to your rules. They're not going to obey your laws. And they're not going to uh, let you talk them down. The only thing that ever, let me say this again, the only thing that has ever stopped a mass shooter with guns is the presence of other guns. When other guns show up, they either die in a shootout or they shoot themselves or they surrender. They never stop, ever, until other guns arrive at the scene. And whether that's two minutes later, 
or seven minutes later, or whatever the response time can be from the local police departments, which will increase exponentially. Unless you're Joe Biden, then it's exponentially. But those response times will increase exponentially because the same leftists who don't want you to have guns are trying to abolish or defund police departments. So cops can't be there. You're not allowed to have a gun because it doesn't make you a patriot. It makes Sonny Hostin feel like a hostage. So what do you have? You have a shooting gallery. It's like going to Cedar Point, the old West uh, shooting gallery thing there where you got the got the piano player and you got the bartender and you got a little bird on a wire over there and you got this, you got the tin cans and you ping, 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 ping. Nobody's shooting back at you. That's what it's going to be in real life. And this is what they want. Trying to tell us we don't have a right to defend ourselves with high-capacity magazines? What about the lawbreakers who don't care about the law that may forbid high-capacity magazines? They've already shown you they don't care about the law because it's against the law to murder. They're not there to abide by the law on that day. So stop talking about passing new gun control laws that will make people safer. It's a lie. And we're not buying it anymore. We already saw this. I talked about this in hour number one. You remember the first assault weapons ban that happened under Clinton? 1994 to 2004. It had a sunset clause of 10 years. It ended in 2004. Every study that was done, all of them, about the number of mass shootings or number of gun murders, gun homicides, None of those studies showed an increase in those, or excuse me, a significant decrease in those crimes during the years in which we had an assault rifle ban. However, in 2004, when that ban ended, AR-15s flew off of the shelves. They became America's number one choice for self-defense weaponry. And guess what happened in the next decade? Gun crimes fell. There were no, let me say this again so you understand. Gun crimes did not fall during the years of the uh, assault weapons ban. Gun crimes did fall during the years after the weapons ban ended. I don't know how that can be made any more clear. Pay attention. Of course, liberal, liberal, liberal Democrats don't have a lot of attention span. Uh, one more thought here. Senator John Kenny, Kennedy of Louisiana. I don't have the clip, but I'm going to read it to you. Said, Put it this way. These killings were terrible. They were horrible. I'm reminded, though, that you need, or excuse me, that you know America is a big country and we're free. And one of the prices we pay for that freedom is you're always going to have some people who abuse it. Freedom is a risk. But we've got to concentrate on on uh, what we've got to concentrate on is how to control that risk. You're not going to stop the killings until you stop the killers, end quote. In other words, it's not about the weapon of choice. It's the killers. Quote, but you don't stop drunk drivers by getting rid of all the sober drivers, which is what many of my Democratic friends want to do with respect to the Second Amendment. 
In my judgment, we do not need more gun control. We need more idiot control. How do we do that? We've already tried. The Republicans have. Senator Grassley, Senator Cruz had a bill to strengthen our national database. We regulate gun ownership in America. If you're convicted of certain crimes, if you have a tendency toward violence, if you're mentally ill, if you want to buy a gun, your name has to be run through a database. The problem is that database has huge holes in it. And many federal agencies and state agencies are very cavalier about sending in the names. Grassley and Cruz's bill, which I support, would have tightened up the database and cracked down on people who have guns and who shouldn't have guns. You know why the bill didn't pass? Because my Democrat colleagues filibustered it. So home run there by Senator John Kennedy. Spot on. You don't stop drunk driving by taking the cars away from sober drivers. And you don't stop gun violence from criminals by taking guns away from non-criminals. Tanya is in Akron on AM 1420, The Answer. Thanks for waiting, Tanya. I had a little bit of a rant there, but go right ahead. Hey, Bob, how are you? Long hey, time. Yes, yes, it is. What's on your mind? I didn't think I was so. I didn't think I was mad when you were talking about the wine. Then you had to start talking about the guns. I just don't know where to go now. <laughs> um, tell me, to ask, I got a question for you. Okay, I'm not that politically smart. Why hasn't uh, our governor replaced Marsha Fudd's seat with a Republican yet? And why has he refused to do so? That's a great question. That's one of many great questions that nobody in the press pool has the guts to ask him. I can't ask him because he won't come back on my show because I don't kiss his rear end the way other people do in interviews. But that's a great question. Okay, because mine is that we, I have no representation. I didn't have any when she was there. Now I have absolutely none. We're only seven seats short from being able to do things in the House of Representatives. And if we got one more seat, We'd be, we'd be able to stop a lot of this stuff before having to wait for these weak-kneed Portman senators to make think they're going to make a right decision for us. I want to get this man out of office so bad, I don't know what to do. Uh, secondly, well, by the way, no FYI, just, just, to, just, to, just to point a fact on that, too, even if he appointed somebody that would be a temporary appointment, there is going to have to be a special election. The Republicans are going to have somebody to nominate, and so are the Democrats, to go for Mar- Mar- Marsha Fudge's seat. I don't know how long that's when fine. that's going to be. It's not scheduled yet. But you're right. In the meantime, um, I believe I believe the Constitution allows the governor to appoint a replacement before that special election, and I don't. I have not heard a word about it from, from Columbus. Okay. When we're, you know, if it was any other year when we could have time, they're pushing things through so fast that his appointment to someone like, Lorraine Gore, I think it's Laverne Laver- Gore, Laverne Gore, would have yeah. been perfect. It would have been perfect because at least we would have had a strong voice there. But he's an idiot, and he's holding Ohioans blackmail, at least in my area, because now Agreed. we have no representation. Agreed, totally. And you have every right to be angry with him. You have every right to get him out of talked, office. I've already sent a letter to him. I'm like, okay, this is I, I want... I want to go protest, but then they might say I'm trying to take over the, the uh, state house. <laughs> no, just make sure. And they even have to bail just me make out. sure you don't use the word fight while you're there. You're not there to fight for the people or anything like that, because then they might. Or they bullseye. Might there you go. Tanya, yeah, thank but, you. It's good yeah. to hear from you, as always. Oh. I'm going to get a few other people on here. Let's get to uh, Gary in Berea, who wants to talk about the gun issue. Hey, Gary, go ahead. Hey, Bob. Hey, uh, for those who don't realize, uh, the A in AR doesn't mean automatic it doesn't mean assault either 
but that's what people think it means. Doesn't mean assault exactly. Doesn't mean assault. Doesn't mean automatic. It means Armalite rifle. A Armalite was the name of the company, right? That man started manufacturing the comp- the actual uh, rifle back in the 1950s. Yeah, that's exactly so right. And they call it Armalite because of its uh, it's 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 extremely lightweight. It's very easy to handle. It's not you know a big yeah. heavy heavy weapon. And uh, you're right, well, but most people don't know that me. AR AR lends itself so easily to automatic rifle or assault rifle. And people just in their ignorance, that's what they say. And I would be willing to bet if you were to poll every Democrat member of Congress, you would probably find a good ten to twenty percent of them who think AR stands for assault rifle. I kid you not. That's true. Ab- absolutely. One other thing too the more the, the most deadliest weapon bob out there is a shotgun that's right and with your new with your semi-automatics today like a brunelli they're nine shot nine shot uh uh rounds and if you take uh one of the you know when you have a shotgun shell you have slugs that yeah. you can use yeah. you have uh your bird shot and you have your buckshot well there's generally eight to nine buckshot slugs that are in a and a uh, 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 rifle shell. And the bottom line is, if you if that if that uh, gun can shoot nine of those, nine times nine is eighty-one. Technically, you could take out eighty-one people with a shotgun like that. Well, yeah, if you're a hell of a shot. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But of so course, I of course, than- of course. And the key here, and and we have to be careful how we say this. And thanks for the call, Gary. You'd never want to take out eighty-one people unless what. Unless 81 people were attacking you. This is the point of high capacity from self-defense, a self-defense standpoint. When you see the angry mob in the middle of, you know, downtown Los Angeles or what happened in Minneapolis, and if you see them turning the corner and coming down into your neighborhood and they're coming to your home in, with dozens of angry people smashing, uh, and, and attacking and so on and so forth, you think you can descend yourself with, uh, yourself and your family with a six shooter? I will decide how many uh, shots that I need, how high of a capacity of a magazine that I need. I will make that decision, and so should you, to protect my family based on the given circumstances. It is not the governor's decision. And that's why the Second Amendment was written the way that it was. Because what if the enemy is the current government? A well-regulated militia that needs to defend itself isn't going to be able to do it with a couple of six-shooters. Swear we have to just do Constitution 101 almost every day on this program. I'll wrap it up after this. Okay, 1057, final segment, as always, is a baby. It's a little teeny one. Let's uh, make the most of it. We'll go to, uh, who's up? Jack Boyle is on the line. Jack Boyle? Is that the Jack Boyle? Jack Boyle that I, uh, <laughs> that I, how you doing, Jack? I'm doing well, Bob. It's great to talk to you. I saw you the other day at Molly Smith's event, which was spectacular. But uh, just very quickly, uh, with the last caller that you talked about, the governor, Ohio statutes, does not allow the governor to appoint a, a member to a vacancy in the House. He does to the Senate, but not the House. He has to call a special election. That election has been called. Uh, there will be a partisan primary on August, I think it's 3rd, 
and then uh, the election will be November again second. Uh, the the normally scheduled things. Uh, we're disappointed uh, again. Uh, Laverne Gore will be a great Republican candidate for the people in uh, in the 11th district, and we're disappointed. We think uh, we believe the governor could have uh, had the special election at least a couple of months, maybe more sooner. And so the district will go without representation until November. Uh, we're, we're we're very disappointed in that. But whatever, it's been set. Uh, August primary, November general, and uh, uh, we'll have a great. Uh, um, a great Republican candidate that when is, the time uh, comes. Th- that so. is interesting news. You, you, obviously, when I saw you two weekends ago, um, you didn't have a date at that time, but I, I did not realize it would go unrepresented until that special election. I thought there would be an appointee uh, and then have the election. Yeah, I agree. It was last Wednesday, I believe, a week ago today, or might have been Thursday, that uh, the governor it's, issues what's called a writ of election, that says what the timing's going to be. Wow. But uh, we so have been eight hoping months, the people that, of the 11, yeah. For eight months, the people of the 11th District, you're on your own. Nobody is arguing or fighting for you or for the people of Ohio in that, in that district. That's unbelievable. Hey, Jack, I'm glad you called to clarify that. I do have to go, though. I appreciate it, my friend. Thank you. Uh, it was nice catching up with you, too, uh, back at uh, the, right, the uh, Cleveland Right to Life event. That's all the time we've got for now. We'll see you tomorrow. Bye-bye.